No. All right, welcome everyone. This is Scott Shepard, a Chief Marketing Officer with Assistab, and I'm pleased to have uh, Guillermo Campomar with uh, Meep. He's the CEO of Meep, and he's joining us as our third guest on the City's First podcast. We're really excited to speak with him about all things related to mobility as a service, combined mobility, as well as multimodal journeys and sustainability. So thank you, Guillermo, for joining us. And uh, we're really excited to hear about your uh, recent journeys to the U.S., what you've been hearing in the industry, and just uh, really kind of what's happening in this post-COVID world. So th thanks for uh, joining us here. Thank you for inviting me, Scott. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Great. All right, for the sake of time, everyone will just uh, kind of get started here and jump right into our usual format, which is very conversational, we'll go through a series of questions. Uh, we'll kind of get a future prognosis of where Guillermo thinks uh, the industry is headed. And then we'll just kind of listen to where we can uh, find Guillermo in uh, social media and other channels. So uh, Guillermo, I think with that, we'll just kind of uh, get started here. So I think our first question for you, and this is something that you and I can both kind of uh, share together, is for mobility as a service. Now, how can mass help to increase public transport ridership in this, let's say, intermediate to post-COVID world where we're seeing a real influx, as you know, in Spain and here in Portugal, related to hospitality and tourism, related to uh, kind of a, a back to normal activity and a real disruption in daily and weekly commutes. So what, what are you kind of seeing from your perspective, uh, you know, leading and heading up MEEP? Well, that's a, a really good question because uh, from, from our perspective, uh, um, the landscape nowadays is not so uh, clear. So there are some places that they are recovering 100% their activity uh, pre-COVID and other places they are uh, kind of suffering more the effects of a new reality that uh, as far as uh, our uh, kind of territories and the, the places that we uh, we know that we are basically talking about uh, Southern Europe and North America and uh, Middle uh, Middle America, uh, Mexico, uh, Colombia, and these places we've seen uh, a, a different trend. You know, the, the main cities, the cities with a huge uh, influx of, of population or uh, big cities uh, in terms of tourism, uh, the activities is almost uh, back to normal. Some days uh, could change a little bit, but uh, most of the times is, uh, is the same as, as it was before pre-COVID. And for those, those places, the, the mobility of service approach is uh, tricky because you go to the operator and and you talk to the operator like okay this is the new channel that you have to understand with uh, a lot of uh, challenges you know like uh, putting into uh, in, in coordination different players with different uh, ways of uh, approaching the the business of mobility uh, as we know it's not it's not the same uh, how a car sharing company faces um, the reality compared to a motor uh, motorbike sharing company or 
the, the public transportation is the, the question. So you have to uh, add an extra value uh, on top of that. Sometimes could be uh, data, sometimes could be a better channel, a better app, a better way of uh, connecting with their uh, existing uh, user base. I think the, the first uh, approach back in the days for uh, many competitors in the mobility as a service landscape, it was that eventually they're going to get new clients. Uh, and I, I, I don't think that's uh, a realistic approach. I think that is uh, a leap of faith that uh, we need to, to be honest. And I think a mobility as a service can uh, position uh, public transport companies let's put it in a box uh, without problems, so with normal activity, uh, they can position uh, themselves as a more technologically and advanced company, and they can compete with other solutions that nowadays uh, are uh, taking the lead uh, in terms of uh, new services and a much modern uh, interface and approach that is our our approach for for those players that are not the majority i think the majority are the ones that are seeing a huge decrease in their current revenues and also the ones that are seeing uh, threats in other mobility solutions in the market you know middle cities or second tier cities with uh, a clear new workforce or the same workforce that now is willing to, to be two or three days uh, at home, working from home instead of going to the office, uh, those scenarios are uh, affecting in, in figures around uh, 10, 20% uh, decrease in, in normal revenues uh, comparing to pre-COVID uh, figures. To those players, I think mobility as a service is basically the only option to, to jump into the digitalization, the, the real one, not the, the superficial one, and to offer combined uh, solutions that could be an option, you know, like I, I haven't seen uh, a single a public transport authority that offers combined uh, travel passes with private operators. I know that is, is tricky because you are involved, you are, uh, you have to change somehow the laws and so on. But I think in these cases we need to to adapt, and I think one of the ways for them to to adapt to the new reality is the digital part and to be part of something bigger and something more connected that I think is the, the key or the, the tool that is uh, offering uh, mobility as a service providers uh, worldwide. That's well, well said. I couldn't put it better myself. And I think it's interesting. It's something I wrote about, which is about mobility as a service as a digital infrastructure layer. So something that enables this uh, transformation of uh, providing uh, better connections for public transport and viewing mobility as a service as this enabler for public policy. 
and aligning with more sustainable mobility outcomes, but also focusing on uh, providing this nudge or this incentive, not the stick, but the carrot to actually attract the private mobility operators and the public transport authorities at the same table so they can start kind of meaningfully packaging a combined offer that really uh, checks off all the boxes. And I think in this real kind of um, disruptive landscape, uh, mobility as a service, obviously there has been challenges over the last few years, but this is the, the real commercial and uh, a strategic opportunity for mobility as a service to continue to add more value and really start um, uh, positioning a lot of these different uh, modes in a way that's more coordinated. So I fully agree with your statements. And I think that this is the time for mass providers such as Meep and others to really take the ball and run with it, because I think this is really uh, where the demand is in the ecosystem right now, especially with the drop in ridership and especially across certain modes. I think one mode that's in particular, um, you know, uh, ring, rings true for me is in the U.S. and North America's commuter rail. So kind of intercity rail and long distance rail from the suburban um, uh, spokes to the hub of the central business district or in UK, the high street, and how that's de decreased based upon this traditional commute that has been disrupted and people working and living locally now. So we're seeing much uh, a massive drop in uh, the term we use in the US is VMT, vehicles tra miles traveled. So how do people really want to live and work locally? And how can we basically make that behave that travel uh, travel behavior even easier so a lot, lot of interesting stuff happening and i think it's good for us to kind of uh you know focus on that um so kind of this is related to the next question um which is around mass of course is how can mass serve as this enabler for sustainable modal shift and what i mean by that is again what i alluded to before is around much more of the public sector the government sector in uh positioning their role in effective public policy. So this question would be related a little bit more to the European market or the Spanish market versus the North American market because governments take much more of an activist role in the regulation and authority of uh, sustainable mobility. Of course, Guillermo, as you know, with the, the SUMPs, the Sustainable Urban Mobility Plans, which are 256 region across Europe. So how can we align the SUMPs with better sustainable urban mobility that mass can serve as that digital infrastructure layer. I'd like, like to hear your thoughts. Well, I think it's a tricky question that I don't think there is a, like a single uh, absolute truth uh, about it. But uh, uh, as you said before, uh, I think we have a fake uh, uh, thought or, or not a so realistic one that because you have nowadays uh, in, any, in any given city, uh, several modes of transport that apparently they have their own app, they have their own digital system and you are kind of, uh, you can access to them more or less digitally. Uh, sometimes uh, we know that the public transportation may have their issues, but at least you have a, a digital card or a card that you can check your balance. And all of this, I think it is creating an, an appearance of digitalization that is not real, you know. Yeah, superficial. Uh, superficial, <laughs> yes. And, and what is the if we if we look uh, to other uh, industries, for example, data and especially um, uh, digital data, I think 
now we have passed this uh, this time of of thinking like okay now everyone has their data in in different places in 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 silos and it's time to connect those silos to create a, a more comprehensive uh, uh, scenario. I think we are in that uh, in that period in the mobility industry. It's like I would say five years uh, behind the data uh, industry, where when we realize that the different players they all play their own kind of uh, game. Intention, of course. They are not connected. No, if you want, by design, many times. <laughs> yes, by design, and, and also, like each player thinks that their rules can apply to other players, and, and it's very uh, complicated and, and difficult to, to manage. And if you want to implement, uh, this is my my personal opinion. It's not even my companies, but if you want to implement a uh, reliable uh, uh, a policy with with future and, and a cohesive uh, idea you need to have this uh, not under control but at least connected they need to talk between each other mm -hmm. because maybe you are applying a, a rule a, um, a, a policy to, to one mode of, of, uh, of transport that is affecting the others. And there's no tool nowadays that uh, can provide this type of information. You can go to the market, ask all the players, like, what is this? Uh, how this policy is going to affect you? Or even you can uh, deploy policies like randomly, which is happening right now, and seeing the, the effects in the market real real time that is also affecting the the users i i think a, a really good example was the the management of the kick scooters policy uh, across uh, spain oh, uh, yes yeah and in madrid too i remember <laughs> in madrid yeah. Yeah, yeah so in the beginning it was crazy like you know oh, yeah. the wild wild west yeah every every company was deploying permits yeah 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 and, and nowadays, uh, the market has consolidated to a point that the people, the, the, the early adopters in the beginning and the, the late uh, adopters nowadays, they know more or less what to do. But mm -hmm. it has been so many changes, so different uh, approach from one city to another, mm -hmm. that you need to be really adventurous from an end user perspective to try the, the kick scooters because you don't know if you can ride on the sidewalks, uh, if you should uh, wear a helmet or not. All of this could be implemented if you have a single tool. If you have a single tool, you will control all of the modes. You will be able to, to make a push notification to different modes. So I think, um, I mean, I think it's time and, and, and now we've seen more and more uh, a different approach from uh, public institutions. Uh, I think it's time to, to recognize that the digitalization in the mobility industry is quite low and, and they need a layer that uh, harmonize uh, the different, different operators and different stakeholders. And, and I think it's the, the easiest way to, 
to do it is to have a digital tool that connects uh, the modes. So there's many different, you know, third-party vendors in here in Europe and in the U.S. that are providing these like data uh, dashboards for cities. Um, you know, I'm I'm very comfortable uh, naming the vendors here right now, such as Vianova, Populous, Remix, and others. And they work with cities, and uh, there's pros and cons to each one of their approach. But it still seems like, at least out in the ecosystem, it's certainly a patchwork. And there's not a level of uh, consistency from the user perspective, as you mentioned. So I think there's really promise for the private sector to deliver innovation and help guide public policy and enable cities to have that complete view, more of a, a dashboard manager for the you know uh, synchronization of modes and um, I would say leveling of regulation. I'm not yeah. seeing it yet though. I'm not seeing, I'm seeing different cities using different tools. I'm seeing different standards such as MDS in Los Angeles. You were just in LA a few weeks ago. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, yes. and, and we see legal battles now, of course, between the city of Los Angeles and Uber. I'm sure you're, you're very well aware of that in terms of data sharing. So to get a little bit more controversial now, because we like to make these podcasts controversial, um, I think that the, the lack of standardization of data the lack of maybe standardization or adoption of tools from the private sector is still creating this kind of patchwork. And now we see this tension between US big tech and the private sector versus Europe basically putting up more of a firewall and trying to beat back the standardization of US standards. So this is the tension between Google GTFS and NetX, the standard for public transport uh, information in Europe, and as well as the tension between MDS coming out of Los Angeles of the Open Mobility Foundation versus European kick scooter and micromobility standards in France and other countries. So I'm not sure if we're really making progress. It seems like we're kind of going sideways here, but I'm hoping to your point that uh, we can kind of uh, see, see a clearer path, you know, in the next 12 months though, of course. Well, I don't know if we are going to see a clear path, but I think it's uh... Is something that is uh, compulsory. We need to do it. Uh, I think it will uh, foster uh, not only innovation in the mobility sector, but also uh, it will help for sure to speed up uh, most of the changes that we are talking about. Uh, actually, in, in ITS LA, that I was uh, a few weeks ago, I attended to, to, a, to a session about the uh, MDS and okay. and also the, the 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 format that they are using for curve management that I think is is amazing. I, CDS curve data specific. It's a similar to MDS. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, similar, and it's all coming from the Open Mobility Foundation. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really it's really cool the the whole idea. But uh, from our perspective. For us, it would be much easier to deploy any type of of of, uh, of solution in a given city with this type of standardization yeah. uh, data sets. But at the end of the day, I think this is a very technical conversation, you know, that kind of dies into uh, the X department of the municipality. <coughs> Sorry, and if they have people involved, let's say, that the uh, municipality of uh, Gijón in, 
uh, north of Spain is willing to implement these kind of solutions. And they have a team that is capable to manage all this type of information, compare this data uh, specification tools. It's great because they have all the options in the, available in the market. But at the end of the day, what we've seen is that we are tired of transforming GTFS uh, real time into Siri, back and forth, doing this, changing this, recommending like, okay, don't, don't use GBS, uh, GBFS, uh, use MDS because it's easier, whatever. Mm -hmm. But what is uh, the situation? Like the people, I don't think we haven't reached the maturity of the market. Exactly. Yeah. Especially in the public sector. I don't mean to... Uh criticize the public sector. I used to be a uh, you know public sector employee myself as well, but I think the lack of technical maturity for small and mid-sized cities is still a challenge. And the lack of standardization means that the private operators or providers need to do more of that heavy lifting. And they do need to do more of that in-house data processing to serve yes. up an output that's easily consumable by you know um, the IT departments or whoever the administrators are. And that is a challenge. Um, and not only that, though, I think another comment, something I wrote about in the past year or two ago was, I think the ability to allow for um, agnostic standards, meaning there can't be just one standard because there's many cities with different policies. So in that case, that challenges the um, whole value proposition of OMF and MDS, because if they're going to be the one standard to rule them all, who's to say every city is going to adopt that? Because we've seen a couple of cities in the US actually drop MDS. I think it was Austin, Texas opted out of OMF. They're not part of the co uh, coalition anymore. So how do we have a plan B or plan C of other uh, standards that operators and providers can facilitate this um, more open agnostic approach so that there's not a one size fits all? Yeah, that's uh, that's another very tricky question. It because is. we see more, more and more a lot of municipalities going for this uh, open source a philosophy and paradigm, but uh, it's, it's tricky. I think uh, I, I don't I don't think I can <laughs> answer no, no. this question. There's, there's just more questions and answers, so we're coming out even more <laughs> curious than we did going into this. So, for the for the audience, just to remind you that a lot of this is conversational. There's not a complete answer. This is more to generate a dialogue, and this is why we invite uh, great guests like Guillermo. But uh, this is kind of part of our. City's first format. So um, with that, let's kind of move on to our next question, which is a good one. Um, so kind of a little bit on the assist to be side, something that we like to focus on, which is AI machine learning, but let's kind of weave this into the topic around mass here, get your thoughts on this. So how can AI and machine learning help to provide a better mass in public transport user experience? Meaning how can kind of uh, deep math and analytics from uh, AI and predictions, training your model, help to uh, serve a better uh, door to seamless door-to-door -door journey that uh, satisfies customer experience. Because we have not seen that in the past with a lot of mass solutions. Certainly in mass 1.0, the business consumer model, it was very rudimentary of just an aggregation of mobility services. A lot of times it was just discovery level one and take it or leave it. That's it. And, you know, just a deep link into the Lime or the Uber app. But how do we kind of refine data to actually serve uh, the preferences of users? I think that's that's the question, really. 
I, I think this is uh, critical and this is uh, a key success factor for our type of uh, of solution. You know, I I believe that now data is a is a tricky uh, field because everyone wants to to be a owner of their data and in control of the data, which I think is totally fine. We need to have more transparency about uh, what three uh, third parties uh, are doing with, with our data, or at least the data that uh, has a commercial and, and privacy value, you know. But uh, in our case, uh, we believe that um, all these models uh, can help to, to make better decisions along the journey. So it's true that transportation-wise, in terms of, uh, this is more, more philosophical or uh, psychological uh, perspective, uh, users are not willing to live uh, in the hands of technology, their destiny in terms of daily commutes. It seems like a like a stupid thing, but there's a lot of uh, uh, theory and studies about it, and and it's tricky when you uh, have to be uh, at some point in, somewhere in the future, and you basically leave uh, your your destiny or your journey's destiny in the hands of of uh, an algorithm, but. I believe that more and more we are doing this in a lot of uh, different phases of our uh, daily routines. And I think mobility is going to be eventually one of them. Uh, from our perspective, we are using all the data that we gather from different sources, not only the sources of our solutions, but third party sources that are allowing us to create uh, connected ecosystems to provide better decisions to, to the users. Sometimes, uh, and especially it's happening more and more with the multiplying uh, offering of different modes, you don't know how to get from A to C in the most optimal way. It's true that most of you would say like, I don't care the optimum, I just care the fastest or the cheapest option. but more and more in a in this con in this context of uh, economic difficulties, uh, different uh, changes and on-demand mobility that I think is a big trend. We can talk about it later about all the DRT uh, madness that that we are now uh, under. <laughs> Yeah, undergoing that too yeah it's a good topic <laughs> yeah. but uh, i think ai and, and deep learning uh, tools uh, are the natural way to offer a more personalized and more uh, customized uh, suggestions for a specific moment in a given time in the future we've seen this now more from an operate stores perspective like optimize my, my operation, tell me how many buses uh, should be in one uh, uh, line or one route. But I think more and more we have to see this 
from all the uh, stakeholders' perspectives. The user can, uh, can be, uh, now we trust the weather channel uh, a lot, and sometimes they say that it's going to rain and nothing happens. But I think more and more we're going to see this kind of suggestions and recommendations in mobility, and that's only possible with uh, AI. Yeah, and users will be more comfortable in um, kind of receiving those suggestions and kind of interacting with a tool or an ecosystem that uh, gives them this level of kind of insight. I think that's really key. I think that also kind of weaves into kind of this transformation in the whole uh, fare payments ecosystem and open loop payments, you know, using yes. your MasterCard or Visa, you know, you're keeping your payments on your iPhone here and your, you know, Apple wallet and having much more of a seamless payment experience that's digitalized, that reduces that friction. But then the next level is an added value of suggesting and using data to actually move people in more meaningful ways so that it's a, a bit, little bit less, I would say, um, uh, rudimentary as it was before. So uh, the, the adoption and the comfort level is kind of a data maturity that individual consumers will adopt as things uh, transform over time. I think that's a good point. We do have time for one more question and then we can kind of get to some final thoughts. The last question was around the different meanings of mass, but I think if you're okay, Guillermo, I'd like to just switch it up and talk about, you mentioned DRT. So I, I thought that maybe let's just cover DRT and then we'll wrap it up here, which is what are your thoughts about um, uh, how DRT is being embraced in uh, mass and vice versa? Because as you mentioned that there's this real buzz in microtransit, uh, the term they use in the US versus DRT in Europe, with some limited success um, and some high operational costs and a lot of, let's say, uh, walled gardens where um, certain DRT providers simply do not want to integrate or participate in mass. So what do you see as the uh, opportunity where, uh, let's say, uh, mass can provide uh, a better uh, outcome for DRT that allows, let's say, public transport authorities um, the ability to complement their fixed route and not cannibalize their own pa passengers, which is another risk of DRT is you take passengers away from fixed route and you move them to on-demand. How can we find this nice balance and could mass be that uh, key in, in the mix? Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, well, it's, uh, as you said, uh, a big uh, uh, hit nowadays in the, in the, in the U.S. I think it's Especially in the more. U.S. There's yes. a lot of hype there. Maybe too much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But the hype is like, uh, I don't think they are seeing this as a new mode. They are seeing this more like an evolution or, or a, a twin brother of a fixed route, mm -hmm. the, the public transportation. And I think it's a mistake. Uh, I agree. Uh, too. I was going to say that. So mass could connect both uh, both uh, modes and try to figure out what is the, the best combination, if it is any, and you have to plan your, your network uh, according to certain uh, objectives. That's the thing. If you are placing uh, microtransit 
for eventually um, changing or swapping the fixed route is okay. Maybe some some approaches that are that we are seeing are kind of uh, the right uh, the right way uh, to do it. But if you want to use this as I think it was sold uh, it was sold in the beginning uh, an alternative for low frequency uh, fixed routes in North uh, lines. They're selling it. Yeah. Yeah. Is is the other way around? You have to think about multimodal. How is the friction of jumping into a micro micro transit and go then to the fixed route with uh -huh. especially the quality sometimes of uh, fixed route services in the U.S. because it, it's not uh, realistic. Uh, you are just mm, using this uh, uh, span uh, of time to put people in a different mode, test a different solution, different services, and they are going to demand the same quality or the same uh, type of service to fixed route because of the similarities. So the people, I think, eventually, and especially what you said about the, the cost, are transferring costs from one, one mode to another, and That's eventually they are going to demand this, this, uh, this type of services in a different uh, mode. So it's, I think it's kind of confusing. It's, it's like uh, treating, for example, motorcycle uh, sharing like car sharing. Is, is different. They have, uh, it's, it's true that they're sharing modes. You can apply some rules to them that are kind of similar, but at the end of the day, different customer, different uh, user experience, different cost, different uh, challenges, you know, parking versus not parking, weather conditions. Versus. So this is the, the thing that uh, agencies need to be, uh, need to, made up their minds and, and try to decide if the future for uh, using more efficient taxpayers money is exactly. to change everything to on demand and how is that going to work because I don't think the technology is there nowadays or even the users or it is a nice complement for rural areas and areas with a uh, bad, bad, bad uh, public transport service. Lower density, yeah. I, yes. I just, just jump in real fast and we'll kind of go to final thoughts. Um, I think it's the, personally, I think it's the second. It's certainly not the first. We can't have entire cities switch their entire fixed route fleets to on-demand because then we're looking at average passenger costs of 50 US dollars to, per passenger to transport. And then we blow our OPEX, we blow our budgets, and then you have to seek uh, additional you know, financing or subsidies. Uh, so, you know, standard USPTs simply do not have the OPEX to uh, provision that level of service. And that's just how it is. So we have to set better public policy to strike that balance between covership versus ridership to quote Jarrett Walker. And then also we need to uh, basically set realistic expectations too, like you said, for feeder services into the main trunk fixed route lines and to address to the US term, which is transit deserts. These low um, low density suburban zones around uh, Indianapolis, Atlanta, Los Angeles, whatever, that just do not have access to a uh, fixed route. So that really is the, the highest utilization, I would say, of microtransit. So with that, um, we'll probably wrap it up here. So 
I'll leave it to you, Guillermo. Thank you so much. This was really informative. And for the audience, maybe you could just let everyone know in the city, uh, City's First podcast world where people can find you uh, and MEEP and just everything interesting that you're working on. Perfect. Well, thank you very much again for inviting me. Uh, you can reach us uh, through LinkedIn. Uh, I believe that the name is BMEEPER because we want the people to, to all share our way of understanding transportation. We call us ourselves uh, MEEPERs. So all the social media uh, has the same ending. Be Meeper and, and the website the website is uh, meep.app. Um, uh, you can reach us there, uh, send us a, an email, and we will answer. Great. Thank you so much, Guillermo. We'll try to include the links in the social media for the podcast um, that we'll get this out shortly on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and even uh, Instagram, and we'll be tagging uh, the, the Meepers in Madrid as well as others. And uh, uh, we'll just definitely uh, make sure that uh, we kind of uh, spread the word because I think there's some really interesting things happening in mass as in this post-COVID world, this ridership recovery. Um, we're, we're seeing some uh, more valuable, uh, um, uh, I would say, um, offers to the public authorities and as well as consumers in mass. So it's a really exciting time. But it's a it transformation. Is. It's a transformation. And, and looking at all these modes and how they can be better orchestrated is really um, the opportunity here. Yes, I uh, totally agree. Right. Well, thank you very much, Guillermo. And thank you all for uh, joining the City's First podcast. And look for our next episode, a to be determined speaker in uh, middle of November. So thank you, everyone.